0: Hey, I'm Steph. I'm Alex. And this is not today.
1: And we're live. Hello. We're on. I am on the West Coast in our great home. In Los Angeles, I have the room, our studio, uh, to myself.
0: And I, you're am on the East Coast. On the East, I'm in New York. I'm as far away from you as I can be in this country. <laughs> so that's good.
1: <laughs> Maybe except for Hawaii.
0: Yeah, I guess that's true.
1: Pretty damn close.
0: Point being, we are recording this online. So if there's any glitches, just ignore it. You didn't hear it.
1: It's not our fault. It didn't We're happen. Blame the service.
0: We're gonna do our best, and it's cool. This isn't our first rodeo right how are you feeling
1: i'm feeling good but this is definitely weird because this is the first time that i've recorded by myself in our apartment
0: yeah strange right
1: so it feels so weird i'm sitting where you usually sit
0: you're in my throne
1: i'm uh, yeah so i have the throne good and it's strange
0: that's all right well it's good It's <laughs> good we'll to get over it. it it's good to switch things up a little bit
1: and change it up
0: i am sitting in an airbnb in syracuse new york
1: what a great city yeah Dear snow
0: oh yeah it was a big snowstorm today so big snow again lots, yeah lots of snow lots of uh, slushiness lots of sloshing around it's cool but hey on the bright side we're even closer to the holiday season if you celebrate christmas that's really exciting if not then that's also cool enjoy the lights <laughs>
1: You know? enjoy the lights enjoy whatever else you celebrate and like you know? hanukkah
0: you know or whatever other holidays yeah, are you know. around this time i don't know but
1: we will be taking a short vacation of one week yes for christmas yeah to be the with one family. week we take off yeah to yeah. be with
0: family it's cool Just um so yeah bang. that that being said we will be doing this episode as normally scheduled and next week there will be no episode so don't cry don't panic it'll be fine we'll come back the week after that But anyway, I am especially excited to be talking about this story this week because this was almost a Patreon episode, a bonus (laughs) episode. So every month I give us options for what bonus episode we'd like to talk about and hear. And this past poll that I put up, this story that I'm about to tell and... The story that I ended up using as our bonus episode were very, very close and were tied for a little while until our actual bonus episode won at the very end. So, what we told over on Patreon was the story of the kidnapping of Shonda Handley, who was basically kidnapped in front of her daughter, and there's this like crazy story that follows, I'm sure, as you can imagine. So that's over on Patreon if you'd like to check out that story. But I figured since the poll was so close and everyone was excited about both of these stories, I would tell this story over here on our normal scheduled show. That way everyone could enjoy it. So that's kind of fun, isn't it?
1: Yes, we deliver. And yeah, since it was, I think this is a good deal for everyone. Absolutely.
0: And both of these stories are very, very good. So I'm excited to talk about it and share it with all of you. So why don't we jump right in? Let's do it. Our story this week takes place on November 22nd, 1997 in Newfane, Vermont, which is a very small town in Wyndham County where everyone knew each other. And that night, it was very cold and icy. There had been a snowstorm that night and the roads were very bad. Caleb Record and his friend and classmate, George Place, left their high school basketball practice together around 7 p.m. Caleb was a starter on the varsity team and ranked eighth in his class, and he and George had been friends for about two years at that point. So after practice that night, the boys walked to Caleb's car in the cold without jackets on or sweatpants or anything. They were basically just wearing basketball shorts and t-shirts and braved the cold on the way to the car, as I'm sure many high school boys do. They lived only about seven miles away from their school, so the drive wasn't going to take very long, and I guess they figured they'd just blast the heat in the car. Caleb's mother, Deborah Record, was at home at the time, and was waiting for her son's arrival from practice. She knew Caleb was planning on dropping George off on his way home, but when it reached the time Caleb should have been home, she started to get slightly concerned. The roads, like I said, were awful that night, and could often be unpredictable with the black ice. Especially for new drivers. Caleb, at that point, hadn't had a ton of practice driving through snow, so this gave even more concern to his mother. She was actually pretty annoyed with the boys' coaches because she thought that they shouldn't have even held practice with the roads in the condition they were in. Driving in conditions like that were very difficult for even experienced drivers, let alone a 16-year-old who had just been handed their license. So Caleb had taken Route 30 and then turned onto River Road to take George home. The road George lived on was a windy, one-lane dirt road. It had a lot of sharp and dangerous curves, and it wasn't the safest road to be on in normal conditions, so in the snow, it was even worse. The conditions on this road were also much worse than that on Route 30, which is what he had been previously driving on. So Caleb is a new driver on a dangerous road, and in even worse conditions than before. Sounds like a very bad combination of things, don't you think?
1: I mean, it's not a confidence inspiring combo, right? Yeah, I remember driving in Michigan. It's just like when it gets bad, it's bad. Have you ever slid through a red light?
0: I don't think that I personally ever have, but I can imagine it would be very easy. I mean, just driving around Syracuse today in my parents' car, which is four wheel drive, we were doing a little bit of sliding around, so I can imagine in a car with like two wheel drive. You're a new driver. You've never experienced anything like that. I'm sure it can get very difficult very fast.
1: Yeah, it gets dicey. And, and you know, like once you realize, it's too late too.
0: Exactly. So it didn't take very long at all for Caleb to realize that the car wasn't responding the way it normally did when he drove. It was very difficult to control, and he was skidding all over the road. The simple task of driving his friend home had become a lot more dangerous and difficult than he had anticipated. And as he hit the brakes, the car hit a patch of black ice and kept going forward and wouldn't stop. And even worse than that, Caleb, who was trying to get control back, turned the wheel, which sent the car into a snowbank. Now, this snowbank was at the edge of a very steep hill that went straight down to a river, and as the car went off the road and through the snowbank it went over the edge and began rolling down this very steep slope and when i say rolling down i don't mean the wheels rolling down the hill i mean like the actual car itself was tumbling over itself down the hill so they flipped around 4 or 5 times down this hill until they reached the river below and with each flip The windows shattered and the roof flattened more and more. And when the car came to a stop, it landed upside down in the freezing cold river.
1: Oh my God. So was it iced over or was it water?
0: Yeah, it was like iced over, but it was thin enough ice that they were able to break through. Oh God. And like the ice around the car shattered and it was now, you know, water again. But it was absolutely freezing cold. And as soon as the car hit the river, water began flooding into the car because like I said, the windows were blown out so there was no barrier between the guys and the freezing black water. The boys were completely panicked as they tried to free themselves from this death trap. They were upside down, strapped into this car, and at that point, they had become completely submerged in near-freezing water, and it was dark. They couldn't unbuckle their seatbelts because within seconds of hitting the water, their arms and hands went numb from the cold. And I mean, the shock of all of it was just too much. I mean, this is a true nightmare for me, I think. I mean, for anyone, I'm sure. But like, to be upside down in a freezing cold river in a car buckled in, like, I don't think it gets much worse than that. And even worse, yeah, I don't know how you get out of that. No, I, I don't know. I mean, this is like, truly nightmare fuel. And even worse, the car continued to shift and slide deeper into the river with the current. So within a minute, of wrestling with their seatbelts upside down under the water, it became even more difficult when the boys' core body temperatures dropped and their blood pressure and their pulse decreased rapidly, which made them, like, confused and disoriented, which is not something you want to happen when you're actively fighting for your life. So as the car shifted further and further down into the water, George finally managed to unbuckle his seatbelt. However, Caleb was still strapped in. By that point, the two of them had been under the water holding their breath for nearly two whole minutes. George knew that if he didn't get air in the next few seconds, he was going to pass out. So he did the only thing he could in that moment and clawed his way out of the window of the car to swim up to the surface. And once he hit the surface, he took a huge breath But he still wasn't out of danger because the icy water took his body heat around 30 times faster than the cold air would have just on its own so with that comes numbness and excruciating pain because you know cold water hurts but he fought through the pain shooting through his arms and legs as he swam to the shore and as he hit the edge of the water hypothermic shock began setting in and his reflexes began failing If he didn't get immediate help, he would have been dead within 15 to 45 minutes.
1: Really? I feel like once you're out, you have more time than that, but I guess not.
0: Well, because he was, he was wet. He had been under the water, like in freezing cold water. He came out, he was in the cold. He wasn't wearing a jacket or pants. He was in basketball shorts and a t-shirt soaking wet in the freezing cold.
1: Yeah, I forgot about that detail. Right. Yeah, needs a coat. (laughs) I
0: don't even think that would have done very much good at that point because he was soaked. But meanwhile, Caleb was still under the water in the car, and George called out to him from the shore completely at a loss of what to do. As the car sank deeper, George knew he had to do something, but if he went back into the river, he would definitely die. He didn't want to leave Caleb, but he needed to try and go get help for himself and for Caleb if either one of them were going to survive. So George was hypothermic at that point, and the embankment was very steep and covered in snow. Not only that, but the steep slope he was climbing was covered in broken glass and shards of metal from the car flipping over itself multiple times. And as he made his way to the top, His hands and knees were torn apart from crawling up. On his journey, he kept turning around to see if Caleb had surfaced, but he was so confused and scared that he just kept checking and hoping for the best, but still there was no sign of him. George's body temperature only continued to drop. He was soaked and, like I said, only wearing a t-shirt and basketball shorts in the first place, so he shook uncontrollably as he crawled up this slope And the pain of that cold was unrelenting, but through it all, he had to keep going. Inside the car, Caleb had stopped struggling. He had been under the water for nearly four minutes at that point. And when George made it to the top of the embankment and back up to the road, he knew that there was a very slim chance that anyone would be driving down that road at the time. Because it was kind of a back road, it was a storm to begin with, so there was no chance of anyone coming down that road. So with no other option, he started walking in the direction of Route 30, hoping he would flag someone down in time to get help for Caleb. But his limbs were so cold he could barely move but he went as fast as he could down the road. Time was running out, but thankfully as he made it to Route 30, he saw a car off in the distance driving toward him. So Caleb walked into the middle of Route 30 and began frantically waving his arms and screaming for help. Unfortunately, though, for George, the first car that passed him didn't stop. But he continued waving and screaming as a second car followed and thankfully did stop for him. A woman named Hillary pulled her car over and saw that this young boy was soaked in only basketball clothes and screaming for help. Kind of an insane scene to pull up to. But so she got out of her car and immediately popped the trunk and pulled out a blanket to put around George as she tried to figure out what he was saying to her. He had been shaking so violently and was so frantic, the only words he could get out was car and river. Rodney Chase and Jerry Paradise had been in the first car and had decided to turn around to see what was going on. And as they pulled up and got out of the car, they too were trying to figure out what George was trying to tell them. Rodney couldn't understand because George kept saying that there was a car in the river, but the river was around three to 400 yards from Route 30. So Rodney, trying to snap George out of it, yelled back to him that he needed to tell him what happened and what river. And finally, George managed to get out that he needed to go down the side road to get to it, He also told them that he had managed to escape from the car in the river, but that Caleb was still in the car, submerged under the water. While Rodney and Jerry got back into their car to race down this side road, Hillary helped George into her car since he was freezing, and she knew that he also needed help very fast. Debbie Record, Caleb's mother, was getting only more and more anxious as time went on. She knew that their school wasn't that far away and Caleb definitely should have been home by that time. But she had no idea what was actually going on. As Rodney and Jerry made their way down this river road, they scanned for any sign of an accident. And soon, they came up on a sharp turn where they saw tire tracks that went off the road and down the embankment to the river below. So they pulled the car over and the two got out, and Rodney had a flashlight that they used to see down to the river. It was pretty dark, and they couldn't see much other than a car sticking out of the water below with its tires in the air. And the car itself wasn't too far into the water. It was only submerged around four to five feet from the shore, but the river itself got deep very quickly as you went in. So seeing this car, Rodney and Jerry began climbing down the embankment to the shore because if there was a passenger in the car, they needed to get him out. Caleb at that time had been submerged for nearly 15 minutes. As Rodney and Jerry made their way down, they began bracing themselves for what they might see once they made it down to the shore. And they were certain about one thing, and that was that it was not going to be good. The bank was very steep, and they were having trouble getting down. But slowly but surely, they made it. Once at the water's edge, they needed to decide if they were going to risk their lives going into this cold water. Because the men weren't 100% sure George had actually been with someone else. So if they got into the water and there wasn't anyone in the car, they would be risking their own lives for no reason. But if there was someone submerged, they needed to act in that second. So it was a very difficult split-second decision to make. But ultimately, they decided to go in.
1: Yeah, I mean, if there's any chance that somebody's in the car, you gotta go in.
0: Well, yeah, that's why they decided to, but couldn't have been an easy decision.
1: Yeah, and it's all happening so fast. I mean, like, 10 minutes earlier, you were on the road going home.
0: Right. So Jerry said he was mostly concerned with the idea of finding someone in the car. It wasn't the idea of going in the water. He was like, "Uh uh-oh, if we actually find someone, this is going to be really bad. So Rodney went in and the water was so cold that when he initially got in, he said that if he had been alone down there, he doesn't know if he would have actually gone forward with the rescue. That's how cold the water was.
1: Yeah, I mean, I can understand, because if you go in alone and nobody's there to, like, save you or help you at all, it's, uh...
0: Very dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. The coldness of the water was shocking, and it immediately took his breath away. It had been an extremely cold day, and the water was, of course, a hundred times worse. Meanwhile, Hillary drove George to the sheriff's office, but on their way, he slipped into shock as his body temperature continued to fall. She cranked up the heat as high and powerful as it would go because she was very concerned that he was going to succumb to hypothermia in her front seat. He was still shaking uncontrollably and the roads were still very bad, but she drove as fast as she possibly could in those conditions.
1: Yeah, the last thing we need is another car crash.
0: Exactly. So by that time, Rodney had made it to the car and when he reached down into the water to try and open the door, it was locked. He managed to reach down through the broken window to unlock the door, but then the door got stuck on the bottom of the river. So this door was not opening. And so using all of his strength, he was able to pull the door free and then reached inside the car to find a cold human hand.
1: Oh my God.
0: That was the last thing that he wanted to feel. Rodney called back to Jerry, who was still on the bank, and told him what he had felt. And he tried pulling on Caleb, but his body wouldn't budge. He was wedged between the seat and the door. And no matter how hard he pulled, Rodney couldn't get him out on his own. So seeing that Rodney was struggling, Jerry got into the water too. So by that time, Hillary had finally made it to the sheriff's office and left her car running as she ran inside to tell whoever she could find about the accident. The dispatcher at the front desk called Newbrook Fire and Rescue, which sprung a rescue team into action, and within two minutes, fire and rescue were on their way to the scene. The ER staff at Battleboro Memorial Hospital had also heard over the police scanner that there was an overturned car in a river with a body inside, and immediately sent out their rescue team in an ambulance as well and Diane Vergara, an ER nurse, had also alerted her staff to what was going on. That way, they would expect an incoming emergency. The dispatcher at the sheriff's office then ran outside with Hillary to get George out of her car and to safety. By that point, he was pale and delirious and could hardly move. Back at the scene, Rodney was still struggling to pull Caleb out from the car because his seatbelt was still buckled. So Jerry took out his pocket knife and started cutting the seatbelt.
1: With a pocket knife, how long does that take? And how frantic are you when you're cutting it? Because I can't imagine that it happens fast and you're already going numb.
0: Yeah, no, that's got to be the worst 30 seconds of your life, right?
1: If getting in the water wasn't bad or feeling his cold hand realizes a body.
0: Right. So finally, after managing to cut the belt, Jerry was able to pull Caleb's freezing wet body from the car. Because of the cold, it was hard to move their own bodies, let alone carry another one out of the water. But together, the men managed to get Caleb to the riverbank. And the men had only been in the water for a few minutes, but even they were having a hard time moving. When they got his body on solid ground, Caleb was blue. He wasn't breathing and appeared to be dead. Both of them believed that they had just recovered a dead man from the water. Jerry immediately began doing chest compressions and Rodney knew CPR, so he started performing that in between the chest compressions while Caleb lay lifeless in the snow. As Rodney gave Caleb breaths, he started to hear this rattling sound in his chest, and the breath that came out of Caleb's mouth had a really foul smell to it. Rodney said that he found out later that the rattling sound he was hearing may have been from acorns that had gotten stuck in his lungs when he went under the water. Oh my god. Isn't that insane? How did they go in? I guess with the water that went into his lungs, it was like also acorns, I guess. But despite Caleb's very limited response, the two men kept at the chest compressions and CPR.
1: How do you get the acorns out? later. later. I, I don't yeah. know. Imagine coughing that up. Well, I mean, we do know that you aren't dead until you're warm and dead.
0: That's so very true. Thank you for that, Cue the
1: rescue team right now.
0: Yes. So meanwhile, at the sheriff's office, George Place was loaded into an ambulance. His body temperature had plunged to 94.5 degrees and was still very out of it. Debbie Record at this point was frantic. She was trying to piece together what could have happened, and she called Caleb's friends, his coaches to make sure he had left practice, anyone she could to try and find out what had happened to her son. She knew that Caleb was a pretty good driver, so she was trying to imagine what could have happened and thought maybe he had crashed into a tree with how bad the roads were, but she could have never imagined how bad the reality of the situation was. As minutes passed, Rodney and Jerry were starting to wonder if help was even on the way. They had no way of knowing because Hillary was the one who went for help. So they figured it was on the way, but there was no real way for them to know. So about 15 minutes after the men had pulled Caleb out of the water, the Newbrook rescue squad arrived at the scene. Firefighter Mike Fontaine took over for Jerry doing chest compressions, and Rodney kept doing CPR, but honestly, he thought he was just going through the motions and doing this on a dead person. But soon enough, the ambulance and fire truck pulled up, and the rescue workers brought a backboard and an oxygen tank from their truck. So getting Caleb back up to the road was going to be very dicey because they were going to have to pull him back up this dangerous icy slope using ropes. So they decided their best bet was to run these ropes down the bank with rescue members stationed along the way. And they said later on that it was incredible that none of them got hurt just by climbing down. Like it was that treacherous that they were like, wow, nobody got hurt going down, but now they got to get them back up and they got to get a body back up.
1: Wow. And these two people just stopped for a random person and then went down that bank and rescued him.
0: Oh, Rodney and Jerry. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And the rescue people are scared of the bank. Yes. Just going down it. Right. It's incredible.
0: So one of the EMTs on the scene Larry Emerald had recognized the car and asked someone if they thought that it was Caleb's car, and sure enough, it was. Like I said in the very beginning, this was a very small town, and everyone knew everybody, so just by seeing this car upside down in the river, one of the EMTs knew who it was. So they sent the backboard down with a few of the rescue members, and Caleb was loaded onto it, and his neck was put into a brace to secure it. And most of these EMTs knew Caleb, but even after seeing him and working on him, they said it was hard to tell that it was him. He just didn't look like himself. One of them who was performing CPR didn't even realize that they were performing CPR on someone they had known. After loading him onto the backboard, they quickly wrapped him in thermal blankets and then tied the ropes around him and themselves so they could all be pulled up this treacherous embankment. And each of the men that pulled Caleb up had one hand on the backboard and then one on the rope. So slowly but surely, they got Caleb and all of the rescue team back up to the road. At that time, things were not looking good for Caleb. EMT Larry Amaral said it was one of his first experiences with a young cardiac victim, and he had heard that the effects submerging a body in cold water could have, meaning when the body is rapidly chilled like that, it slows down the person's heart and metabolism so much that there actually could be hope for Caleb, despite everything. But that being said, Larry didn't have much hope. Caleb was loaded into an ambulance where paramedic Elena Mayo assessed his condition. And she was asking questions like, how long was he unconscious? Has he woken up at all? Did he ever have a pulse? Did he ever move? And was there any response to anything they had done? And all of the responses to these questions were negative. He never had any pulse, no respirations, no movement, nothing. Paramedics did everything they could to save Caleb. They intubated him in the ambulance to get oxygen directly into his lungs. But the fact that he was under the water for around 20 minutes was not inspiring much hope. Elena Mayo said, knowing the physiology behind it, you only have four to six minutes under the water, maybe eight if you're lucky, but 20 to 30 minutes was absolutely unheard of. Caleb's time under the water was extensive, but also he had to be taken out and then they had to wait for paramedics. He had to be brought to the hospital and that was a lot of time to have no pulse. So Elena said at that point, even if he had come back from that, it most likely wasn't going to be a good outcome. His body temperature was only 82.5 degrees. And just for a little context, 96 degrees is considered low. Hypothermia occurs when the body temp drops below 95 degrees, and he was way below that, so they needed to bring his body temp up very fast. And at the same time, they continued pumping oxygen into his lungs and then gave him a shot of epinephrine. But Caleb still had no pulse, and they couldn't shock his heart because there was no rhythm to shock. So EMTs in the ambulance were literally just calling his name and telling him to come back while others continued doing CPR on him. So from what I understand, the defibrillator they were using detects rhythm in the heart and it needs some kind of rhythm to be able to shock the heart. But Caleb had nothing, so they couldn't even shock his heart.
1: Wow, so everything was manual?
0: Well, I think that this defibrillator was actually automated, which is why they couldn't shock his heart, because the manual ones, I think you don't need a rhythm, but the one they were using, they needed some kind of rhythm, so.
1: But I'm just saying that they had to, like, manually do CPR the entire way to the hospital. Oh,
0: yeah. After several minutes of CPR, they had a slight heart rhythm, which meant that they could shock him. And once they did that, his heart started again. Isn't that insane? Wow. Wow. That being said, he was so far from being okay, but they got some kind of progress, which was huge. By that time, George Place had made it to the hospital, and he was wrapped up in these thermal blankets and strapped to a backboard as well. But after just a few minutes, he was thankfully starting to warm back up, and his body temp had gone from 95.4 to 98.1, which was great. So once his body temperature was less of a concern, the doctor checked for internal injuries, broken bones, or spinal cord injuries. But other than a slight cut on his knee, George was unharmed.
1: Wow, that is so incredibly lucky.
0: I know. Around that time, Caleb had arrived to the hospital as well, and it was go time. The team in the ambulance quickly jumped out, got Caleb out, and then handed him off to a team of nurses and doctors in the hospital. He was still totally unresponsive, but they needed to continue warming him. His pupils were dilated, his left arm was blue and blotchy, he still had no blood pressure, and his temperature was 92 degrees. For my medical peeps out there, he was cyanotic, which basically means his skin and nails were a bluish or grayish color, which is definitely not a good look, you know, an alive person. <laughs> <laughs> not in like a fashion faux pas kind of way, but in a like, he looks like a dead guy way. You know what I mean?
1: That was just like the tone that you set it in was just so funny. <laughs>
0: I wasn't, I didn't he mean was it in a basically,
1: way. he's been dead for 30 minutes and his uh, nails are gray blue and he himself was blue to the point where the EMTs that knew him didn't recognize him and uh, it wasn't a good look.
0: <laughs> All right, point taken. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> George was in the room next to where Caleb was being worked on, and as he was trying to explain to an officer what had happened, he kept losing track of what he was saying as he was getting distracted by the commotion in the next room. I mean, think about how terrible that must have been for him in that moment, like trying to explain what happened, but actively knowing that your friend is dying in the next room and people are like frantically working on him.
1: I mean, I would feel so helpless, but I mean, I also don't know what you could, what really is going to help them if he explains what happened. I mean, I guess it's just to know. There's nothing you can do. No, well,
0: no, it's not like anything he tells them is going to change Caleb's situation, but it's just to know what happened, you know? Yeah. So Caleb's mom was still at home with no clue of what her son had gone through And as Caleb's sister, Sadie, was calling more of his friends to try and track him down, a car pulled up in front of their house. And it was a firefighter who was there to tell them that Caleb had been in an accident and they needed to go to the hospital right now. So Debbie said to this firefighter that the girls could stay home, but he told them, no, they need to come too, which is a very bad sign. When a police officer or a firefighter shows up at your door, like, nothing good is happening. And even worse than that, he's like, um, actually, the siblings need to come as well. Like, this is really eerie.
1: Yeah, you all need to come
0: now. Right. So he told them that they all needed to go right now and that he would drive them. He wouldn't even let Debbie drive the girls. He was like, no, I will drive you. You're getting in my car. And he also wouldn't really tell them what had happened. They just knew that it was urgent.
1: Yeah, that was the other thing. I just don't know. You can't tell them, right? Like, it'd be worse. And the other thing that he drove them is good. But I mean, if you tell them and she gets them behind the wheel, that's a problem.
0: Oh, absolutely. You know? It was definitely the right call. But I can't imagine how scary that must have been.
1: Yeah, but it, incredibly emotionally difficult.
0: Oh, my God. An understatement. So, meanwhile doctors were sticking a tube up caleb's nose to suck the water out of his lungs and they pumped out over 600 cc's which is nearly half a liter of river water
1: isn't that like your entire lung
0: yeah he pretty much had his lungs were full of river water i mean how could they not be he was under the water for 30 minutes So they gave him sodium bicarbonate to lower his acidity level and dopamine to raise his blood pressure. And after that, they finally got a slight reading. His heart and breathing were finally stabilizing. And as much as that was good news, they still needed to do more tests to see the damage to other organs. They were in a very small county hospital, and they had done basically all they could for Caleb at that point and although his outlook was still bleak, his doctor knew that if Caleb had any chance of bouncing back from this, he needed a more advanced facility. So they called Dartmouth Medical Center to transfer him to their trauma department once he was stabilized a bit more. Debbie and her husband Greg had made it to the hospital where they met with some of the first responders on the scene, and they were told about the accident and that the car had flipped down an embankment and landed upside down in a river. Caleb's parents didn't even really know that Caleb had drowned, but the first responders told them that they had found him pretty much dead, and they didn't have any luck resuscitating him. So although things were slightly better for Caleb at that point, his mom basically was told that he was dead. Oh my god. That being said, Caleb was not doing well, and he was on life support. And tragically, doctors determined that his brain function was gone. The records family doctor had also arrived, and this doctor had known Caleb since he was born. So Caleb's childhood doctor and his doctor currently at the hospital decided they needed to break this devastating news to his family together. And they told Caleb's parents that he was brain dead and that they needed to consider turning off his life support and donating his organs. Oh my god. Debbie and Greg could, of course, first see their son, but it was basically for a final goodbye. When they got into the room with Caleb, Debbie tried to see if she could get a reaction out of Caleb. She spoke very loudly to see if he could hear her but with each attempt, the doctor told her that Caleb was brain-dead and not to expect anything. But that's when Debbie grabbed Caleb's hand, and Caleb squeezed back. Every time she spoke loudly, he responded by squeezing her hand. She told the doctor that he was squeezing her hand every time she spoke to him, and at that point, Debbie knew that they couldn't give up on him. He couldn't be brain-dead because he was squeezing her hand on command, which meant that there was hope. Isn't that insane? The doctors literally came to the parents and they were like, your son is dead. We're going to take him off life support and harvest his organs. Go say goodbye.
1: Bro. And
0: then she uh, literally grabs his hand and he squeezes it. Did no doctor like, hold his hand? <laughs> like, they That's didn't what try I'm on?
1: saying. I would be so mad. Like, you fucks didn't try? Like, I well, mean, you know, I'm sure that they <laughs> did. That's, that's but, you aggressive. But, you if from... I mean, but you know, I'm just thinking about it. Like, if I'm experiencing this as her, you're about to you're about to make my son basically a a bag of organs that you're gonna just go use, and you didn't even really give it everything that you had. At least that's what it would seem like to me. Yeah,
0: like I said earlier, this wasn't really a very good look either. But the doctors, I'm sure, did everything that they they could but they just thought that he was brain dead they thought that he was gone just think about the context of the situation he was under the water for 30 whole minutes he had half a liter of river water in his lungs and he didn't have a pulse for i don't know 40 minutes or something crazy like that he was he looked dead he almost was dead like they thought he was gone you know yeah but miraculously i mean
1: at the same time How many people in that situation get brought back to being stable and have a pulse and can breathe and would react to anything?
0: No, absolutely. I'm just trying to give them the benefit of the doubt because these doctors and first responders did amazing work to bring him back to where he was. So I'm I'm just trying to not like jump at the doctors because, I mean, they did amazing things, you know?
1: Yeah, no, I I understand. And I, I don't know. I'm just saying as his parents, the way it was told to me does seem like, you know, I would be angry. No, definitely. You know and I, I, mean?
0: I also like do understand the frustration because when I heard that, I was like, wait a minute, what? Like, it's just kind of crazy yeah. that she was able to get a response basically immediately. So that's strange. Yeah, that's insane. But overall, very good news
1: yeah i mean the other thing you got to think of is that everything's happening incredibly quickly yes like you need to make all of these diagnoses and decisions tests that you need to have medicine that you need to give him immediately without it just needs to be a reflex basically so incredible work
0: 100 percent. so we went from fuck these doctors to incredible work (laughs)
1: i'm just i that's not what i said i said as his parents that's exactly how i would feel i feel like that's fair no i mean if you go if you tell me that my son is dead yeah and that i need to give up his organs and i go in and grab his hand and all of a sudden like he's gonna live i mean what went on there you know
0: no i i agree that's how i would feel i totally agree so but with this new advancement in his condition It meant that it was time to transfer Caleb to a more advanced medical center, but any kind of transfer at that point would have been incredibly risky. But they had to try. So he was transferred to the University Medical Center in Hanover, New Hampshire, where he would be able to receive the advanced medical equipment that he needed to save his life. And Caleb thankfully did survive this transfer to Dartmouth Medical Center, but arrived still in critical condition. Debbie and Greg arrived to the hospital around 12.30 a.m., and thankfully by that time, Caleb had been stabilized and they were able to go in and see him. He was still hooked up to machines, and he wasn't awake, but his parents could be with him. And that night they got absolutely no sleep as i'm sure you can imagine they just sat up with their son hoping for a miracle so he was transferred to the university medical center in hanover new hampshire where he would be able to receive the advanced medical equipment that he needed to save his life and caleb thankfully did survive this transfer to dartmouth medical center but arrived still in critical condition Debbie and Greg arrived to the hospital around 12.30 a.m., and thankfully by that time, Caleb had been stabilized and they were able to go in and see him. He was still hooked up to machines, and he wasn't awake, but his parents could be with him. And that night, they got absolutely no sleep, as I'm sure you can imagine. They just sat up with their son, hoping for a miracle. During recoveries of this nature, the brain swells. And since the brain is, you know, in a skull, which is a hard enclosed space, when swelling occurs, there's a buildup of pressure, and that pressure can cause pretty bad damage. So when morning came and Caleb was still alive, it was very good news. And from that point on, his condition continued to improve. And two days later, one of Caleb's doctors believed that he could breathe on his own. So they turned off his ventilator and miraculously he began breathing on his own again but that must be such a scary moment as a doctor to like turn off a ventilator and then you have to wait to see if the person actually will start breathing on their own which i'm sure isn't always the case you know
1: yeah um i guess if he doesn't breathe then you just turn it back on right. But it really is a moment of truth
0: yeah for sure At that point, he was breathing on his own, which was huge. And a few days after that, Caleb woke up and even started walking and
1: talking. Wow. I can't believe we went from he was brain dead to he's talking now.
0: I know. In a matter of days, like days, you know, not weeks, not months, days. Yeah, that's not long. Caleb's parents believed that they had witnessed a miracle. Everything was against Caleb, but he miraculously pulled through Debbie said once she got some sign of hope, she was never going to give up on her son. And she didn't, and he woke up. So from there, Caleb went into rehab and made a remarkable improvement. That June, he even graduated from high school.
1: Wow, when did this happen? November. So he didn't miss a beat.
0: No, not a beat. Yeah. And after, after high school, he went on to go to junior college and then, you know, worked. He was just like a functioning person. He didn't skip a beat and he really wanted to thank all of the people who rescued him, but there were so many people involved that he never really got a chance to like personally thank everyone. But as far as Kayla's parents are concerned, George is his true hero. There are so many people who helped save Caleb, but without George, he would absolutely be dead. They were both so grateful for their lives, meaning George and Caleb. And also, a huge shout out to Raymond and Jerry, who risked their lives pulling him out of the car and continued performing CPR and chest compressions even when they 100% believed that they were doing it on a dead body. They never gave up, even though he was blue and not breathing and had no pulse and had been underwater for like 30 minutes.
1: Yeah, I don't know how many people would do that to risk their own lives and then perform CPR for that long. Remarkable people.
0: I know. So I unfortunately don't have much else information about where these two ended up today. But from what I know, they're... Great, you know, they had no complications. They made full recoveries. They both graduated. Like, they're people. They're doing their thing.
1: Wait, so he had no damage from that?
0: I mean, nothing that was like so long lasting that he couldn't graduate high school and go to college and then join the workforce. You know?
1: Yeah. Did he play like basketball again?
0: I don't have that information, unfortunately. I I hope. I, I imagine. Oh, okay. I mean, within a, the day he woke up, he was walking and talking. So I'm assuming that he was fine.
1: Yeah, stories like these are so remarkable because I think we've told a couple where people are essentially dead for really, really long periods of time. But since they're cold, I mean, it's basically like you put their organs on ice no, yeah. and they're able to recover with most of the time, almost no damage.
0: Right. It's really strange. And I mean, this is kind of throwing it back to like the very beginning of our podcast. It was like what, episode three or something. But the first, I think it was like the first story you told, or I think mm-hmm. was Anna Bagenholm.
1: Anna, Anna
0: Bagenholm, excuse me. Um, But she, in a very similar situation, was under the water for an extensive period of time and in the ice, essentially. But the difference between her story and this one was she had an air pocket. So I was kind of unsure of how this was going to turn out as I was researching it, but was so delighted to find out that Caleb was okay despite him not having an air pocket. And he had half a liter of river water in his lungs and like acorns. Like, how do you, if that isn't like a miracle, I don't, I don't know. Like, I just, I don't understand. My, my non-sciencey brain cannot comprehend how he made it out.
1: Yeah. I mean, if this isn't a miracle, I don't know what is. I felt the same way because when you were telling it and he didn't immediately escape, I was like, oh, it's over. And then you kept telling the story and you didn't say that Caleb was dead. And then I remembered Anna Boggenholm's story because she did find an air pocket. But after that, she was unconscious under the water for over an hour. Right. And then... She had to be airlifted to a hospital. So she was, I think, clinically dead for four hours. I
0: forgot how long it actually was for her.
1: It was really long. And I want to say that her body temperature was like in the 60s.
0: Yeah, she was like one of the lowest body temperatures like ever recorded and like, you know, for someone who uh, survived, right? It wasn't the lowest, but it was like one of the lowest, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think someone else <laughs> like Did they beat, beat her? her it's such a weird <laughs> yeah. thing to say that for they but, broke the world record um,
0: they're in the Guinness book of world Records. yeah
1: the the Guinness <laughs> record that no one wants no god um, no but uh yeah so once I realized that I, I had a lot of hope for for Caleb and then when you said that his body temperature was 82 I was like that is insane but you know it's not impossible for him yeah. to come back from that
0: yeah i mean that's what the emts and like you know the people rescuing him were pretty much banking on they were like okay theoretically we know that he could survive science says that you gotta be warm and dead so he might pull through and none of them like skipped a beat and they all just put all they're all into it and he made it out so it's just it's such an incredible story honestly i was shocked when i because as i was researching it i was like oh god i really hope he doesn't die like that's
1: i know that it's would be so, so sad. sad
0: i mean he was 16 years old you know
1: yeah, so young. It would have been and terrible, dude. The earful that this basketball coach must have gotten.
0: Oh my god! I mean, it's not his after fault. After all this, like,
1: I know it's not his fault, but you know,
0: you got to feel kind of shitty after that, you know. You,
1: you got to feel <laughs> at least partially responsible, don't right. you?
0: Well, I mean, it's I don't know, but I mean, I, you're
1: not really. But you know, if they hadn't practiced. <laughs> you know?
0: Let's not throw blame around. It was just shitty conditions. I'm not, I'm
1: not throwing blame, but I know that his mom was not happy about it. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely voiced her opinion. And then he had practice anyway. I mean, I get, you know, it's the Northeast snow happens all the time. Right, right. We get it. But, um,
0: no, it's definitely dicey when new drivers are having to experience conditions like that, like driving in snow or like really intense rain or icy conditions like it's really scary. It's very very scary even for an experienced driver and he was 16 years old. He had just gotten his license. Like it's terrifying yeah. to think of.
1: Yeah. And I feel that young drivers have a false sense of confidence until you've at least lost control of your car in the snow at least once. Right. Because I don't know if this it was like this for you, but for me I just remember kind of going through driving assuming that I would never get in a car crash, there was like this weird mental block for me where I was just like, it can't happen. And then there was one time where I slid through a red light because it was coming off a freeway bridge and into a light downhill. And I tried to stop quick and I just slid right through the entire intersection. That's so scary. And uh, luckily the cars had stopped, but I mean, there comes a point where you know you're not gonna stop and you just speed up. Right. Also, you really, really, it hits home that you need to be very careful (laughs) in the snow and especially on ice.
0: Absolutely. I mean, also, like, it's lucky that those cars could even stop for you because you can't stop short in snow like that or, like, in in road conditions like that because even if you hit the brakes, you'll just keep going, you know? Like, there could have been, like, a full intersection crash, essentially.
1: Yeah, 100%. That's scary. I got lucky because they were stopped, and then they had a green to go, oh, but they sure. saw me. You know, they're like this bozo. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good. <laughs> yeah, this idiot. But yeah, incredibly lucky, and just a, a ton of remarkable people working together absolutely uh, to save his life. I mean, I can't. How how grateful are you for for life after that? And so young to realize that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm really curious what his perspective, like, just his outlook on life, is now.
0: Yeah, I mean, Caleb and. George said that they are both so incredibly grateful to just be living like every day is, is a a, a blessing, you know, I don't know, like, if, I don't that's not the word I'm looking for. But like, it's you're so lucky to be alive, like life is truly so short, and you can leave in a second, like something crazy can happen like that. And I don't know, it just, it gives you a lot of perspective,
1: I'm sure. For sure. Um. And put that in the gratitude journal.
0: Absolutely. Let's gratitude that in our journals everyone <laughs> everyone pull out your journal write down that you are grateful to be alive today <laughs> <laughs> anyways uh shall we move on to our good things Why
1: don't you go first
0: okay my good thing is that i am with my family for the holidays and i'm very excited to see them and hang out and be with the little puppies and my grandparents and everyone and it's just fun you know the holiday season is fun
1: amen amen to family shout out to the fits <laughs> sure um yeah.
0: what's your good thing
1: oh my good thing is obviously christmas but i am also done with my christmas shopping hell yeah uh, which is a blessing uh, because I feel, i'm feeling is, very
0: hashtag blessed that i no longer have yes. to christmas shop because that is stressful
1: yes shout out to amazon uh, for making this possible lord but i always get stressed um buying gifts and buying them on time and, you know, making sure it arrives before and all that stuff. So to have it be over relatively early for me, yeah. even though this is pretty close to Christmas, is uh, very nice.
0: Also, to be clear, this is hashtag not spawn by Amazon.
1: <laughs> oh, this is not. Yeah, <laughs> it know. sounded like an
0: <laughs> ad almost.
1: <laughs> well you know
0: hey if you want to pay us amazon it's nah.
1: convenient if nothing else
0: i'm open to some deals daddy bezos
1: hey you know if we want to you want to throw that ad cash we'll take it okay <laughs> you
0: heard it here first you um, should be
1: i should be paid for that honestly
0: <laughs> honestly you should but yeah like i said in the beginning we will not be posting an episode this week so that we can spend some time with our families and we hope you are all doing the same thing and having a wonderful time and holiday season. But anyways, thank you all so much for listening. If you would like to look at all the pictures we post of all the stories we talk about, check us out on Instagram at nottoday_podcast. podcast. If you would like to check out the bonus episode that came out very recently, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash nottodaypodcast. If you or anyone you know has a story of survival that you would like to share with us and potentially hear on an upcoming listener's episode, send it to todaypodcast at gmail.com. We have a TikTok that is Not Today podcast and a Twitter that is Not Today podcast, but the T on the end of podcast is a three.
1: Because that makes sense.
0: And just keep breathing. Yeah. Yeah.